From your local Houston BMW Center Studios, welcome to the Public Affairs Podcast, addressing local issues that affect our nation and shape our world, presented by 100 Black Men of Metropolitan Houston. I'm your host, KG Smooth, and um, I've got some illustrious actors on the line. Uh, He is a native Houstonian, a TSU alum, and an incredible actor who uh, I was very surprised to uh, see his face in a... uh, the car commercial during the Super Bowl. Ladies and gentlemen, your very own Mr. Tasalta Baptiste, my guy, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. I gotta say, I'm honorary. I'm an honorary Houstonian. Gotta give it up to Cali, but man, it's, it's nothing but love. An honorary Houstonian, my foot. He's from Houston. He will always be Houston. Yeah, you live out there, but this is home. Fair enough. <laughs> don't do don't do that to us, bruh. <laughs> listen, we've got another incredible actress. Um, she is a Bada and Pace alumni. Bada stands for the British Academy of what did you say of of, of drama? What what was it? I'm sorry, right now. British American Drama Academy. British American Drama good. Academy and Pace alumni. Please welcome. Rael Ba to the Public Affairs Thank Podcast. And, um, Hello, everyone. Another incredible actor on the line um, from Michigan State. Shout out to Detroit. He's a Michigan State alum and an actor. Ladies and gentlemen, Charles Hunter. Yeah, yeah. What's up? What's up, man? Thanks for having me. Man, thank you all uh, for coming on to Salta, uh, reaching out, telling me about uh, this new film um, that is coming out that is based on our very own George Floyd, CUNY Holmes, Third Ward, Houston. Um, guys, well, first, I want all three of you individually to just uh, briefly tell us about uh, yourself. Tasalta, we're going to start with the hometown hero first. Yeah, man. Well, uh, I went to Texas Southern University, uh, was on the debate team uh, under the tutelage of the illustrious uh, Dr. Thomas F. Freeman. Um, was 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 right there across the street from Cooney Homes, man. You know, it was uh, pretty much TSU, Cooney Homes, one and the same. You know, um, I uh, went to China, did some work out there for a while, made a film. I, I was uh, acting as Pac, and um, you know, got got a lot of world recognition for that. Uh, moved uh, back to Los Angeles, and um, have been have been just acting, man. Um, taking taking it one one step at a time, man. But um, this film with about George Floyd, man, is probably the most iconic uh, body of work that I've been involved in. Yeah, can't wait to uh, get into this more. Ray, Rayelle, tell us about yourself, my love. Yes, um, I'm a Baltimore native, born and raised, um, and I have been training as an actress since I was 10 years old and performing art schools. Um, and went on to get my BFA at Pace University in New York City and also trained in Oxford, uh, uh, the UK, with the British American Drama Academy. And um, from there, life brought me out to L.A. And, you know, I've been, it's been a true honor to be a part of this film. I grew up in a time where there were protests in Baltimore with Freddie Gray and so many other uh, protests all over the country. So it was really an honor to, to be a part of such an important story, you know. Indeed. Thank you so much for that. And Charles, uh, let us know about, about yeah, you, man. <laughs> Thanks again, man. I, uh, yeah, man, just another one of the little boys from Detroit, man. Find a way to navigate through life and figure things out and kind of make it to college. 
always had a love affair with the craft of acting. Uh, definitely moonlighting, working every chance I get. It's always a pleasure to share stage with, you know, the two that's on with me, man. They, they pretty awesome. Um, I understand why they were on the project. And something like this is definitely, I can't thank the family enough for an opportunity to just portray this kind of story at the time that we live in there, you know. So I'm a little bit too humble to even find a way to even describe stuff. I'm just appreciative of everything and everybody. Well, this is a, it's, it's an exciting time. Um, so the film is called Love Lives On. Yes? Or uh, love- the Dental Jock is a... Um, there's a, a, a campaign with uh, Ad Council called Love Has No Limit. And um, this is pretty much a, a extension to that campaign. They made a full feature uh, short film, uh, George Floyd, man, which we're, we're, we're portraying, you know, people in his life. And Charles is, is George Floyd in the film. And, uh, wow. yeah. And so this premiered at the uh, Cannes Lions International Festival of Creativity, along with the uh, Ad Council. Um, so this Love Has No Labels campaign, it's, um, it's a pretty big deal, especially with you all being involved. How were you approached or found out? Uh, how did you all find out about uh, this opportunity to create history? Well, uh, yeah. I, I, please, Charles, please. No, no, I would like, I would, you, we need you to go first, as a George, we really do. Uh, nah, I'm always so impressed by everything that come out your mouth, I'm like, girl, go ahead. <laughs> I love this, listen to this, this is amazing. Well, yeah, okay, uh, Rayel, go ahead. Yeah, um, as, as many of us do, the, the project came through my agent, and, um, you know, it was, it was pitched as just, you know, uh, the public service announcement, a PSA. Um, so we were, I was brought in with, you know, that intention and had, had you know, the self-tape and then the, the callback. And then the callback, I got to meet our director, Andre, um, as well as uh, one of our producers, Manny. So it was great to kind of, you know, have that in-depth conversation um, with them about about where they were trying to take this film. And... Um, it was also wonderful because what I noticed was when they sent out the breakdowns, they inc- incorporated a storyboard that was so detailed and that had frames um, of stills from features such as Moonlight and um, other like huge uh, Jordan Peele films, for example. And so I was really able to tell from the beginning that this was a big deal, that this was not going to be a public service announcement in itself, you know, that was just going to be for commercial elements. I could tell that they were really trying to shoot this with a feature film idea behind it to really get the audience to feel like they were in that story with us. Mm. And Charles, you playing uh, George Floyd. How, how did this come about for you? Yes, sir. My, uh, my path is pretty similar to Reyes. In the, in the, in the uh, project, his, he's referred to as Perry, of course, his middle name. But I, I think with... Um, with Rayel, it was kind of the same with me, where as I started getting more and more details, I was like, man, this is a lot different than your typical run-of-the-mill audition. I mean, you know, the, the, the standard process of the agent getting it to you and so on and so forth, um, that that went on. But as far as, like, like uh, Rayel mentioned, man, with the storyboards, I remember seeing a couple of different projects, and I'm just like, man, I'm recognizing all of this. What exactly is this? <laughs> you know, it kind of had that, that sort of feel. <laughs> And uh, 
it was just something else that went from great. This is definitely a, a win and an opportunity to, oh man, I'm more than honored. I don't even know that I'm worthy. So <laughs> just, it, it, all of them are privileges, but this one was an honor, man. Indeed. And to Salta, uh, your involvement with this project. Yeah, so uh, so I play Dorian. I'm uh, Bridget Floyd's husband in the film, uh, played by Rayel Ba. Um, you know, the story is centered around Rayel, or excuse me, Bridget and George's relationship as brother and sister. Uh, so I play the the husband who, who starts off as the boyfriend, who kind of gets a little, you know, a little little that big brother uh, pressure, you know, uh, when when she introduces me to him, and uh, then later on as time progresses, I, I'm I'm a, a father. And uh, you know, a friend uh, to Perry or George in the in George or Perry in the in the film. So um, my my take was, you know, just just auditioning, getting those 100, 100 auditions and, and 101 notes, you know, until I finally uh, was was selected. They said Bridget said I want him, and they said you don't want to see anybody else. And she said Nah, him. He he's gonna play Dorian. So um, you know, man, everybody pretty much resembles everyone in there uh, in terms of. Uh, Rayel and, and Charles, man, I'm probably the one that looks the most least like uh, the actual person, but um, man, the two of them just killed their roles, you know. So I'm just a ple- honored to be a part of it with them. Did Bridget Here's know that time. you were already from Houston when you auditioned? Nah, man, I, I I told her I broke it down. We were just talking about, you know, just saying like, look at God, you know, just how how there are no mistakes. It's the master plan, you know. Indeed, indeed, indeed. So let so let's take it back to the summer of 2020 uh, when we see that video that is floating around uh, on social media of this man who is laying on his stomach (laughs) handcuffed behind his back and you see this officer uh, kneeling with his knee on his neck uh, as the man is saying that he could not breathe. What... Where were you all uh, when you first saw that and your, and your thoughts and reaction with what happened in your respective cities that you were living in at the time? Because I can tell for me personally, I had heard about it, um, but I was purposely not trying to see the video on social media. Like as soon as I saw uh, that, that that first frame, if you will, of, of the video, I would just keep scrolling on. I did not want that trauma uh, to enter into uh, into my space and into my being. Uh, and then I'm on Twitter, and it was Shannon Sharp who had retweeted uh, the video, but the video was on uh, it was on mute. And I'm like, oh, what is what is what is Shannon posting? I didn't. He started from a different point, and so I didn't know what it was. And I sat there and I accidentally watched it and I was just devastated. I, 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 I literally started crying and I was upset because I was purposely avoiding it. I was doing so fine with avoiding watching this video. And then I saw it while it was on mute and I cried. Um, how did you all feel and where were you all when you saw the video? I'll, I'll start with you, Rayel, first. Yeah, it was it was a really hard um, time for for me and I'm and all of us. Um, you know, that was during the COVID shutdown. I was in New York City at the time, um, actually in 
in the epicenter of New York City, so surrounded by, you know, a lot of a lot of sadness already. And, you know, I was in college and finishing up my senior year, and so we kind of were required to be online in order to do that. And so, similarly to you, you know, it came up something I was not trying to see, and I unfortunately saw, it and it was, it was literally the hardest thing I've ever put myself through. And I, I immediately turned it off um, and cried. It was like, this is where our country is right now um, and has always been, but now we're seeing it blatantly um, everywhere. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's where I was. I was, I was stuck at home as we all were, but forced to kind of sit in this, in this sadness and trying to figure out how we can do something about this to make this, the situation better and I even actually went to the protest in New York City um I was like I, I can't sit here I don't care if there's you know uh a, a illness going on I just masked up had my three masks on and went down and was fighting with my with my colleagues for justice nice Charles how about you um I was actually at home I was at home in Detroit with a ton of family and uh like Rayel said, it was, you know, the pandemic, of course, had been going. And at that point in time, man, we had, in my family, we had three people at that time that were actually on life support with uh, COVID, right? And so we was already just miserable. It is, it is such a, a weird kind of dichotomy of things going on at the same time. And um, ultimately, all three of them ended up dying within a span of 12 days. And right at the beginning is when this, 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 I'm going to call it what I think it was, a murder happened with George Floyd, right? And I, just, I, I was in disbelief. Like, I literally went and found the second video. So I was like, I know this is not real. These, these people need to stop messing around and editing stuff and then spreading it. Like, I just, maybe because of where I was at emotionally, I wasn't even in a place where it would just seem to me like this could actually be this out in the open and in your face with all these people. I, I went from angry to, no, I went from sad to infuriated and almost volatile. And I'm actually glad I wasn't there because I don't know how I would have handled that scenario with the people just watching, especially the other officers. I, it's, it's, I would say in my lifetime, it's the most appalling thing that I've ever seen. I can't think of anything that I'm more offended by uh, yeah. than that. And then the other thing is, me being a black man myself, I'm surrounded by him. I have a teenage son now, and I didn't. I was torn between wanting my son and daughter to see it and not wanting them to see it because it was so barbaric. And it's like, who am I to have this image scarred their minds for the rest of their life or however it's going to impact them? But at the same time, who am I to deny them the reality of what we all live in? We all, yeah. It just, it, it, it was no right answer. It, all that just came from it was this frustration and hurt. Yeah. Tosalta, how, how about you? And um, like everybody else said, man, I, I was staying inside, man, trying to stay COVID-free, you know, and still ended up catching it anyway. Um, but uh, in, in, the, in that process, man, I think 2020, we have to really recapture um, what was going on, man. You know, it started off with, you know, Kobe Bryant, his, his passing first, and that was devastating. Um, you know, just setting the stage of just a, just a, just a horrific death, you know, and then 
um, and then Ahmad Arbery, you know, and um, I believe Breonna Taylor uh, was in 2020 as well. Her yeah. her murder was in 20. Um, and, you know, and then we see, you know, we're waiting for verdicts to come out. We're waiting for justice to happen. And then that video, man, with, with, with him, man, I think that that was uh, the powder keg, man, that everybody just being restricted to stay inside, the fear that's looming and how could this happen when we're supposed to be sticking together? We're supposed to be staying safe. How can these, these how can racism still still veer its ugly head? in the midst of all of this is going on, you know? And so I think that that was the thing that just really awoken something in humanity um, to just say, man, enough is enough, you know? And, uh, and that's why, you know, George Floyd will forever remain a super spirit uh, because of that, you know? And um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's all I can say on that. Let's get into uh, a little bit, as much as you all can talk about uh, this film, when will it be released and available for uh, people to watch and, um, what, what was this process like filming such a uh, traumatic uh, cultural moment in in, in time? Uh, Ray, you touch on that. Yeah. Um, well, the film is out. It is on Hulu, um, and you can search up the Gentle Giant and find it. And you can also search up the Gentle Giant ad council on YouTube if you don't have YouTube, if you don't have Hulu, um, and watch the film and the project. Um, You know, being on set, all of us knew the gravity of what we were a part of. We all were super honored, you know, and when I say all of us, I don't just mean as actors, I mean the team behind it. We were all super, you know, respectful of what we were doing, but also just glad to be doing it. Glad that we, that we could tell this story and make a difference, hopefully, by doing that. Um, so the energy on set was actually super positive. It was a lot of love on set. Um, we had never met, you know, other than like fittings and such like that. But once the team all came together, all the production and all the actors, it was really just a lot of, a lot of love and a lot of support. Um, and really just figuring out as we went, really, what was the most honest way um, to tell the story. So, you know, you know, there were a lot of things that, you know, Charles and I w- were allowed to improvise. We just had an instant connection as if we had been siblings, you know, in real life. And um, then we were able to talk to Bridget. She was on set with us um, for about a day and a half and ask her whatever questions we, we needed clarity on. And, and she was right there supporting us as well, never making us feel like, you know, we were, you know, telling a story that, you know, she didn't want us to tell. She was right there with us, supporting us. And so um, I think by the end of it, we were just all just excited and hopeful that what, what this project can, can go on to be. Indeed. What did you all learn from this process? Um, what did I learn? I learned, <laughs> I learned a lot of things, actually. I mean, I learned you know, the collaboration aspect, you know, the, uh, similarly to what Tisalta was saying, I, although I have been training for a long time and although I have been acting professionally for a while, this was the biggest um, project to, thus far that I had the opportunity to work on. So to see all those puzzle pieces coming together, everyone is an expert in their own field and we all coming together to make art um, was definitely something, and having fun while doing it as well and having a purpose, having a message that was like, the biggest thing about it for me, I think what I learned is why we do what we do as, as creatives and artists, you know, we don't do it for our own 
vanity and for our own feeling. We do it so that we can share stories, so that we can educate people, teach lessons, and push society forward. That's the whole idea. That's why films and television have such an impact on politics and so forth. So I think this was the first time I had the opportunity to be in that situation to realize we were all, we all had a purpose and we all were doing, we're, we're advocating by doing our art. Indeed. Charles, what is it that you hope that the audience will walk away from after uh, watching this short film of The Gentle Giant? It's hard for me to tell people how to interpret or, or what to hear when words come out of your mouth. But as taking it back to what you said as far as hope for, you know, even looking at, you know, my own kids and just how much George Floyd life impacted people, I would say that my hope is that people understand the importance of just the human voice. The human experience has its own voice. And I love the ad campaign title of Love Having No Limits. I mean, it's just, it's really just that serious where um, people have a right to exist. People have a right to be different. Um, people just have a right to live and be human. And I hope that a project like this will remind us of it. Because sometimes I forget, you know, I, I'm definitely guilty of that. But the importance of, of art and the space that it can encourage within our own minds, our hearts and our souls, it's like the one place where all of that can operate at the same time, no matter what your background is. And to Terrell's credit and to her point, I, I definitely I felt the energy throughout the whole entire shoot of how honored not just myself, but so many other people were to be a, pro, a part of the project. Having Bridget there, having Jabari there, it was, I, I couldn't do anything but hug everybody. Indeed. I was exhausted, but every second was worth it. Tasalta, can you give and us shout all out the? To Jabari. Oh yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, shout I was out just to saying Jabari. shout out to Jabari. Um, he's one of the leaders of the George Floyd Foundation, um, and him and Bridget sure. were one of the ones that um, helped to make this project possible and make it truthful and honest. So I just wanted to give a shout out to to Bridget Floyd and to Jabari. Indeed. And yes. where can uh, Tasalta tell everybody where they can get um, where, they, where they can watch? Uh, the film, once again, I know it's on Hulu, but uh, where else can people see this short film? Yeah, so it's, it's also on YouTube. So just type in The Gentle Giant uh, Ad Council. Um, and of course, if you have Hulu, uh, check that out as well. Indeed. To Salta Baptiste, Rael Ba, and Charles Hunter, stars of the short film The Gentle Giant, as a part of the Ad, Canc- the ad Council's Love Has No Labels. Uh, thank you all for coming on and, and, and uh, giving your time and, and your scholarship on this experience. Thank you so much. Man. Thank, thank you, KG. Thank you all. And to everyone listening to the podcast, we will be right back after this. From your local Houston BMW Center Studios, welcome back to the Public Affairs Podcast, addressing local issues that affect our nation and shape our world, presented by 100 Black Men of Metropolitan Houston. I'm your host, KG Smooth, and uh, very honored uh, to have some bosses on the phone line with me. She is the CEO of Houston's Yellowland Records. Twyla Portis is on. And we also have uh, her son, who is the COO of Yellow Rand Records. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jimmy Bolt is on the Public Affairs Podcast. Good morning. Welcome, guys. 
Good morning. Good morning. Good Good morning. morning. Thank you all for uh, coming on. I was um, I was I was told by a great friend of mine uh, who gives me great content uh, content Rebecca Briscoe uh, about this internship program that you all are launching at River Oaks uh, Studios with uh, your own record label that uh, is amazing but first I want to I want to start from the beginning let's uh, give us the history of Yellowland Records well, um, actually, we, you know, we got started uh, back in 2017. My son at the time uh, started, you know, into the music industry. His father was a musician and um, the late Erwin Portis had passed away and, and he just got in the studio and started making music. And I think it was therapy at that time. And, um, you know, just really looking around for uh, a label that would, would fit our needs at that time. There just wasn't one. And, and I was always told, if it's not there, then you create it. And so Yellowland Records was really birthed because, you know, Jimmy Bolt had just gotten in the studio and started to uh, create, you know, music. And then obviously, the more you do it, the better you become. And, and we're at a place now that we're super excited as to what has transpired. And we can be a staple in the community to, uh, to allow other up-and-coming artists to have a place to work. Indeed. So, Jimmy, clearly you you got it honest in terms of uh, making and creating uh, music. Um, when yes, when did the spark happen? When did you know that this was something that you wanted to do? I would say when I was 17, after my pasta passed away and my um, near, very near friends, Jade and Brianna Robinson, once they had passed away was when I had made um, my first song actually that same week and it was just when I really just felt that feeling and I just knew that they were my reason and they were my why and that's why I really just wanted to take this music very very seriously and then also it's in my blood as well so yeah and kind how, of a natural <laughs> and how would you describe your music uh, I would say it's euphoric um it puts you in a trans type of state um i feel like it's all about just like the energy and i feel like it's very deep as well so i feel like it can really take you just on a just really just on a roller coaster <laughs> yeah so since it's been uh, a few years uh since yellow Ran- yellow land records have has been out um uh, what has the experience been like? Because this is the music business. Now, it's right. one thing to make music, but then it's another thing to be a part and end of the music business. There's a difference. Right. So, uh, what, what, so far, you know, how has that experience been and, and what have you learned so far? So far, it's just been a lot of a um, lot of thought lessons, um, just a lot of trial and error. But it's also been a ton of fun, and we just learned so much throughout this process. So it's been it's some ups and downs, but mm-hmm. mostly ups. <laughs> Good. Good stuff. Good yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely like to um, add to that. Yeah. You know, um, you, you know, you you hit the nail on the head by speaking of the music business, and oftentimes, 
you know, musicians and artists don't really cover that part of it. They just move into their craft and to their skill. But that's one of the things that I really wanted to hone in on. And, and I just really, you know, I'm not, I was not in the music business. I was not a musician, but I am a businesswoman. But I knew it was important for me to find a consultant that I, you know, that had a great track record that I could work with. And that's what we've been able to do. And as Jimmy said, you know, in the beginning, we definitely had some bot lessons and, and um, a lot of people, you know, saying that they could do certain things that that Mm -hmm. just didn't follow through, Mm -hmm. but that's what it is. And, and, you know, we knew going in that the music business was a little bit of sharky, (laughs) but we, uh, we knew that we could handle it though. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, I mean, I I hate to use this analogy, but uh, it's equivalent to the dope game. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, that's, I mean, and, and, and it's funny how that, too, can be uh, intertwined uh, into the music business. It's just it's 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 a wild, wild, wild game. Wild yes. Oh, it, yes, indeed it is. So I'm, I'm sure with that, um, you all were inspired to launch an internship program. Uh, what was it that wanted you all to start this and to teach other artists, producer, sound engineering, marketing folks like the, the, to give them the, the ropes, to give them the gems as what to expect before going into this. Sure. You want me to take that, Jimmy? Yeah, sure. You can start. I'll finish. Okay. Well, um, you know, giving back is just a part of who we are and, you know, Jamie and I learned a lot of things and we have been blessed to be able to experience life at a high level, you know, travel the world and, and everywhere we went, um, the questions were the same. How do I get help? How do I get resources? You know, where do I find, you know, someone that'll help me? And so we just became the help and, um, you know, really bringing these young entrepreneurs, you know, these, these young students in that that's on an entrepreneur path. Uh, we we had the resources that, you know, we could give them an experience. And, you know, this is our fourth year, less 2020, of course, um, having interns. And, you know, they come in and, and, and we're able to, you know, share with them other, you know, professional graphic artists and our our engineers and, and um you know, all of these various areas that, that we already have experience and, and professionals that are in that area to just give them, you know, a place that they could come in and, and just really see it firsthand and how the operation work and, and even give them soft skills, you know, that they could go out into the workplace and be able to make a difference. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Jimmy. Jimmy, did you want to elaborate or did, did you want to uh, underscore what your mom said there? Yeah. I agree totally. It's just we just we just want to give give those people just a chance who might have might not known exactly what to do or how to do it, and we just wanted to give them just that how to and just really that experience on showing them a really high end system at our studio, and you know what I'm saying just really just showing them just like the ins and outs of of really just the day-to-day at the studio. And I feel like the interns learn a lot and they leave with so much. So it's a, it's a really good thing. Indeed. 
You're listening to the Public Affairs Podcast presented by 100 Black Men of Metropolitan Houston. We're talking to the CEO and COO of Yellowland Records, Twyla Portis and Jimmy Bolt, respectively, about their internship uh, that Yellowland Records has launched at River Oak Studios. So uh, the interns who will uh, sign up first... How do they sign up for uh, this program? What are, are there certain criterias to be a part of this? Yeah, absolutely. We have we we initially do an open house. You know, we promote it out on our social media platforms, and we reach out to various you know schools and universities, and uh, we set up an open house. They come in, and we just you know share our our company you know goals, the vision, and and all those great things a little bit about us. And then there is an application process that they go through, and uh, and then we call those um, those interns that actually you know made it through that application process, and they they start with us, and we usually run the program for 60, 60 days. In some instances, we've done it ninety days, and uh, and then of course we have a celebration after that. So this internship is is ending, 